It's time to give Bill Landis his early Christmas gift. Oh boy, we're doing it? Yeah, we're doing yeah. it. Tight end talk? Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you must be new around here. Welcome to the podcast daily. That is Bill Landis. He is practically beaming. I can feel it. I'm not even looking. That's Jeremy Birmingham, who's confused. He doesn't understand <laughs> that position preview day for spring camp about the offensive line is Landis time. We're doing the whole line. Do you want to Should break, we just leave? Do you want to do tackle one episode, guard another episode, and center a third episode? Let's, let's put them all together. Them all together. <laughs> one cohesive unit. Okay. And let's not make the whole thing about right tackle. Oh, well. <laughs> Sorry no. to ruin it. Now what are we you don't about? get the perfect let's gift. Th- let, let's, Should we start inside out? Well, I want to start. Let's start on the left side because I'm actually, I feel pretty good about where the offensive line is, and I, I feel like I'm on an island a little bit there. And I, don't, I guess I have no reason to feel that way other than just to, choosing to be optimistic this time of year. But what do you guys think of like the ceiling for the left side? Like with Josh Simmons coming back a year under his belt, Donovan Jackson coming back as a third year starter. Like I think that left side of the offensive line has a chance to be pretty good. I don't. I'm not sure what more Ohio State could ask for. Um, Josh Simmons, I think, is evaluated a little bit too unfairly that he wasn't. Was uh, I think was evaluated unfairly. Yeah, he wasn't Paris Johnson last year, and nobody else is. And I also myself pointed out the regularity of the penalties that has to be corrected. Um, so, but outside of that, he was pretty darn good. Yeah, and you can make the same case in, in some respects for Donovan Jackson that he did not play perfect, and he's made mistakes in each of the last two seasons that were costly for Ohio State. One, maybe through no fault of his own, but you know, tangled feet. They lose the Michigan game. One that leads to a touchdown for Iowa the year before. Like again, those are two things that aren't necessarily. Painting the full picture. I think the left side is in pretty good hands. I'm waiting for Bill to tell us how many penalties Josh Simmons had. He had eight, because I didn't think it was that many. He had, he had 17 the year before, and he was the most penalized uh, tackle, I think, in college football. Yeah. He, had, he cut that in half. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I said it a few times during the 2023 season. I thought Josh Simmons was the best offensive lineman on the team. Uh, only Matthew Jones was in the conversation yeah. for me to even argue that point. Donovan Jackson is the most talented offensive lineman on the roster. Uh, he has not played the best of any, you know, he's had some ups and downs. And, uh, you know, there are the big glaring plays that you just mentioned, but there's a lot of inconsistency in his play over the last couple of years, especially in the run game. Um, you know, as a pass blocker, those are things that are, you know, they're going to happen. Sometimes you're going to get caught up with the stunts, but it's, it's the consistency as a run blocker. And when you look at Donovan Jackson, you expect him to be a dominant guard, and he has not been. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a lot of conversation this offseason about him coming back or, or deciding to head to the NFL. I think he made a really smart decision in coming back because he has the ability to be a second-round NFL pick as opposed to a fifth-round NFL pick. Um, and he's going to have to put that on tape this year. But you head into this spring knowing that you have the left side of that line locked up. And when you have a new quarterback, that has to be really, really a big breath of fresh air and, and a nice exhalation for Will Howard to know he that side is fine. Josh Simmons played really well. You guys gave me a lot of crap on this very field about four months ago when I said that he will be a second-day pick. You said I in a been, way I, that yeah. sounded like I know, but, in two months' time. Okay, but that's, not what I, that's not what I meant. Nor, nor is that was why we reacted that way. We didn't. We whatever. So he, I, I think he's going to be a second day. From that experience. I think he's going to be a second day pick every time because I, I mean it was. I was like, what are you guys, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> um, but uh, the left side, like 
it's solidified. You know what's there. Everything else is happening there <clears throat> depth-wise this spring. We'll see how it unfolds. Uh, I think, not, uh, sorry not to cut you off, but it's not it's not solidified in the way where I I don't where we're like those two guys aren't going to do a whole lot this spring. Like no, I think the spring no, is about to, like they need to, you two work together yeah. and like so by the time the season rolls around, like you're you're on it. No, they have to be cohesive. They yeah. have to figure out you know they have to be better as a group than they were a year ago. But you you aren't looking at those guys and saying, well, could someone usurp them and right. take their spot? Yeah. There's no one that's going to wally pip those guys. That's why I and this is such a maybe a weird thing for me to have latched on from last season but that's why i want to not see the split groups that we saw in training camp or to some extent with the experimentation a year ago last spring josh simmons and donovan jackson need to play next to each other seth mclaughlin needs to play next to donovan jackson whatever they decide to do whether that's josh fryer you know whatever the alignment is going to be that we get to on the right side like put out a complete unit and let them practice together i know what they were trying to do get reps you know give different evaluations and look at the quarterbacks and all the other things that they wanted to accomplish with that. I don't, I don't think it was to the benefit of the offensive line. So, you know, in a week and a half, when they get back out here, let's see some clear cut ones and twos. And if you need to swap out a person or two at times to get a different look or swap a position, like whatever you have to do, do that. But I don't like, here's a half and half. I don't think that's to the best interest of Ohio state, but I'm also not a coach. So I hated it. <laughs> I, can, I don't know that I hated it at the time, but I hated it in hindsight. I hated it, but I understood it. I, like, I know yeah. what they were trying to do. I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to disorient us. We were trying to watch practice. <laughs> I, so you're trying to figure I out don't think that was it. I think it was like, I let's, let's, think let's, that's give, it was. let's give each quarterback half the protection they need. I think in order to let's make them both look and bad, it, so and it made it look and it made everyone look bad. I mean, yeah. it was a bad decision. Okay, I agree, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying I, I understood why they yeah, did the it. thought process. It's just it was incorrect, and unfortunately, I think when you are part of an offensive line that's getting worked every day in practice, all sometimes that seeps into your head a little bit, and you go, maybe we stink. Um, yeah, and then what happens is then then you do stink. Self fulfilling right. prophecy. Yeah. So. You have to find your five as early as you can for Ohio State this year because we can look at this roster and, and know that the offensive line is the one spot, maybe outside of linebacker, where you have the, the the circle and you say, well, if this isn't good, all this other stuff doesn't matter. And that's always true with the offensive line, but it's especially true when you have everything else coming back that this team has. So Seth McLaughlin did not transfer to Ohio State not to start, right? So you have... Four starters with with Josh Fryer wherever he's starting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, locked up. So the question is, <coughs> what's best alignment for that fifth guy? Who who? And then how do you figure out who that fifth guy is? I think that's right. Yeah, I think they have. I think they know four names and three of the positions, um, which is a heck of a lot better than they were this time yeah. <laughs> last yeah. year. I think, and, and maybe there, I'm sure there are some people who. Maybe think it shouldn't be four. Maybe maybe they don't even think it should be any. Based on, based on how play, the this, uh, the season played out last year. Did you year. not like the offensive line play in the Cotton Bowl? Were you not a fan of that? I thought it was uh, what's the word? Poopy is the word I would use. <laughs> I was also going to use that word. <laughs> yeah, but that That's was the only one that came to mind. That was that was a, a a bad day for everyone involved. I'm I'm gonna toss that aside and choose to focus on what I think there, there was some good from the line um, over the course of the season, I think, especially the left side. Um, maybe not so much the, the right side of the line. But I think I, I do think that's kind of the position that Ohio State's in is like you got to figure out 
where Josh Fryer plays on the right side and then the corresponding, uh, you know, hole there who, who fills that. And I don't know. I, I think it could be Luke Montgomery and Tegra Shabola regardless of where Josh Fryer ends up, right? I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true of like a George Fitzpatrick or a Zen Mahalski. I think both those guys are, are definitely tackles. Um, but there's a lot of options there. And I, I, I would hope that I, I'm with you guys on the split field stuff, but I'm not opposed to like rotation, just like play five guys or play your three and then kind of mess around a little bit on the right side of the line, trying to figure out what the best combination is. Cause that's what this time of year needs to be, be for. And you need to come out of, I think you need to come out of these 15 practices, maybe not a hundred percent certain of what you have, but I, I think more certain than they were this time last year. Cause coming out of spring, I did not feel like they were in a great spot with, with knowing what they had and who was going to play. Well, where. they had to go get a starting tackle. Yeah. <laughs> but even beyond that, even beyond that, like, I don't know. That they had to move Josh Fryer. I don't know that I got the thought, the impression that they were like totally sold on that idea coming out of spring. More I don't sure know that they were totally sold on, on center coming yeah. out of spring. Or like there was, there was still a lot of uncertainty. Well, Jacob James was hurt. You had yeah. no idea what Carson Hinsman could do. You had Vic Cutler coming in, and you're thinking, well, it, it was just a weird group. It was odd. Yeah, yeah. the The personnel management of all of it was just quite strange to watch, and I don't. That's why I think we saw. A great amount of scrimmaging last year. Not every single one, not every single rep that they had over those 15 practices, but I think there were five practices and, and at least three and maybe four that we saw the entirety of. And it was like, if you're going to go down and have live situations and your quarterback is going to be out there, even if they have a non-contact jersey on and people in their face, like I remember Devin Brown hitting a helmet, like th- that's getting pass rush in their face. Like Put your best group out there, and if somebody is not playing like a one, well, keep 80% and then ma- and make an adjustment with the other one and see what happens and mm-hmm. if that makes a difference. So, again, it feels like such a, a small thing to get hung up on, but offensive line writ large is so critical. And, Berm, you're talking about this collection of skill players and Will Howard coming in. Like, none of it matters if you don't get that exactly right. And that, to me, starts in March – and if there's only the one spot that is of, of importance, like leave the other variables the same. So you're saying Josh Fryer at right tackle? I think that. Are you? Well, are no, you I, now a proponent of Fryer at right <laughs> tackle. You're on the spot. Go. I think he should play right guard in March and April. And if that's where they find an issue, then maybe Tegra Chabola plays in there. Um, you know. Work with that. I think the point Bill started off the daily by saying, is the left side secure? And I think it is. So if you have to make some adjustments on one day, just make small ones. Maybe today Luke Montgomery's out there and this person's running with the twos. I think the reason I'm bringing it up in this way is like there were practices where it was like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, split squad over here and run over there, that field, this field. Like it it didn't make any sense and it didn't bring any cohesion together. If they're seriously considering Josh Fryer being the right guard for this team in August, then that's where he should spend all of his time unless they find that that's not working. And if they find that he doesn't work at right tackle, well, find another solution between Luke Montgomery, Tegra Shabola, Zen Mahalski, or George Fitzpatrick. Like, I don't think that'll happen to Josh Fryer, mm-hmm. yeah. but you, that's what these evaluations are supposed yeah. to be about. I'm trying to throw the cotton ball out of my mind, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Bill said, but the fact of the matter is in that game, they put Enoch Vamahi out there, and he's still on this team. Uh, he is coming back for year six or 
Series six. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, I guess part of my biggest issue with the decisions that were made in December heading into that game was not even moving Matthew Jones to center. It was if you're doing that because Carson Hensman had had the yips or whatever was going on, mm-hmm. um, then you need to put Luke Montgomery or Tyrus Shabola out there and yeah. see what they can do in that situation. Unless you are heading into this 2024 season with the mindset that Enoch Vamahi is your starting guard. Because if he's not, then why is he out there? And I I don't think anyone expects that he's the starting guard heading into this spring. And that if that's what ends up happening two weeks from, you know, two days ago, like, is that a, a cause for bigger concern of how Justin Fry's group is shaping up? Is it a, like, is, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I there's a lot of questions about the offensive line play in that Cotton Bowl, but the decision to play Vamahi when he had not played all year, and if we're being honest, he was pretty bad in that game. Uh, did not look like he belonged on the field, and didn't get you know didn't get removed. Uh, then it, it's hard to be like, oh, they they must know that they have this figured out with Luke Montgomery or Tiger Shabola, because. Why would you not have just put them out there? It couldn't have been worse. Like I don't believe it could have been worse. So uh, I think they felt so. Do you not want to damage the psyche of a younger player? Yeah. Well, I also think they felt so rattled by what was going Mm -hmm. on at quarterback that like any consideration outside of that was like, well, let's put the most veteran offensive line possible out there, and maybe that will help Devin Brown and Lincoln Keenholz. Like Uh, I don't. I'm trying to think because I've blocked a lot of that game out of my mind. I think many people have, but like. There has to have been other factors, like, and quarterback is maybe the most obvious one. Yeah, I, I think the question is, if, if you head into this spring and, and you say center, left guard, left tackle, or set, and we'll just figure out the hodgepodge on the right side, you have a lot of answers that are, like, maybe maybe good answers. Because you can play Josh Fryer or Tiger Shibola or Luke Montgomery at right guard or right tackle. What? Every time we've had this conversation, which has been pointed out to me, like we've never said Carson Hensman's name. He uh, can be part of that too, right? He can be, certainly, at guard. At, at guard. But I'm saying you have three guys that can that can play either spot, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Carson yeah. Hensman. You have Enoch Vamahi. You have Austin Saraveld, who the, the uh, offensive line coaches are very high on, um, uh, who can also play right guard. And, and so then you have four freshmen who are coming in, and there's an expectation, I think, for Ian Moore to – push for the two deep this year if he can get through spring healthy and so there's a lot of opportunity there but how do you how do you determine like what the best fit is and it feels to me like it really puts Justin Fry in the spotlight um Mm -hmm. and I think there's a lot of people in the fan base who have already sort of had him um in the crosshairs a little bit like hey this hasn't been as good as we thought it would be um and now with Chip Kelly and the offense, like you, there should be a, a marked step up in the run game efficiency this season. So, for a number of reasons, and if it doesn't happen, I mean that's that's an indictment, I think, of of something bigger. I don't mean this as a excuse making for Justin Fry in any way, but the the situation he inherited and climbing back out of that on the offensive line, given the years of physical development required, feels very different than when like after year one, I was like. Is Tim Walton going to do this with the corners when they were all banged up? Like, I think there are some similarities. You know, it's like, well, why didn't Justin Fry have the same second year that Tim Walton did? Well, because offensive line and corner are not the same position, and and lost three because Denzel Burke didn't leave unexpectedly. Yeah, so I mean, 
again, and, and I don't know, I'm not saying that there's not pressure on Justin Fry to deliver in year three, but trying to retool and revamp that group after the three losses of NFL starters, I think was... and a, Starters to the NFL. Right? Starters to the NFL and being devoid of like a lot of recruiting success year after year after year. Like, you know, Burn, you, both of you guys could can weigh this maybe better than I can, but it does seem like there is an elevation going on you look at the recruiting rankings by themselves. Like the floor is much higher. That seems like the, the, the progress higher. is being made there in a way that was not happening with Greg Sudrawa. But Justin Fry is still having to finish off the development of some guys that he did not recruit necessarily. Yeah, I think that he's probably – I think scrutiny is fair. I Actually, I, th- I think this is a big year for him. I think maybe it's been a little overstated how big of a year it is, it is for him. But I don't know that he did an A-plus job or even an A job. Last year, even given what he had on hand, right? He was he was dealt a difficult situation by Luke Lopler deciding to leave early and, and Dewan Jones leaving early. We all knew Paris Johnson was going to leave, but I don't I don't know that they were expecting to have to replace three starters coming off of last year, and, and, they, and they did, and they weren't really equipped to do that. Like Carson Hinsman had not played at all, and then all of a sudden he's a starting center. Um, that's a difficult situation, but you know, if you wanted to see Carson Hinsman be more ready, if you wanted to see more. Um, development from donovan jackson if you wanted to see josh fryer and like not kind of you know taper off at the end of the year like i i think that reflects on on justin fry as well so i i think he needs to do a better job like i don't know that he's coaching for his job this year but i but i think that there is a a, certainly another step or two where he needs to get to for this line to do it i think he's coaching for his career like what where where are you going as a coach like and he will be a, he's a good offensive line coach. He'll have a job for the next 20 years if he wants it at that spot. But is that where you want to be? Is There was a lot of conversation when he got here about him being the next guy at Indiana. Mm-hmm. Didn't really even get a sniff of, of that because, you know, maybe they just wanted a guy who'd been a head coach before, and I can understand that. But, like, uh, there's a there's an element of where, you know, I'm going to try to say this as fair as I can. Like Tony Alford, for example, is a guy that's been here a long time. There's an understanding that he wants to be a head coach and he wants to take that step in his career. And like, it doesn't happen for everyone. So mm-hmm. you have to show that you're exceptional at something to get that opportunity. And I think that coming here from UCLA, where the, he was the co offense coordinator, the run game coordinator, like it's part of that elevation of, of the career arc that you're thinking, okay, now I'm going to do this and this. If you come into this season and it's another ho hum, not really showing people that it, you have the ability to elevate this group, I think it's damaging to his long-term aspirations. I, but, I mean, he's a, he'll have a job forever because he's a good offensive line coach. But. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably right. Um, just quickly on the right side, because we, when we talked about the right side, we've talked a lot about Luke and a lot about Luke Montgomery and Tegra Shabola and I mentioned like Carson Hinsman. Do you think George Fitzpatrick has a legitimate shot there, or do you think he's still a year away from because I, I, I get the sense that they still like like the trajectory that he's on. He's still here. Yeah. I mean But this is this is his third year as well, right? Yeah, but I mean I think the bigger question is whether or not Zen Mahalski has going into his fourth year. Going into his fourth year, yeah. does, has Zen taken the steps to be a starter here? I mean he was he was the starter mm-hmm. here last spring. He was at, yep. opposite uh of, of Josh Fryer. So like that has been a quite a dip and is he ready to take that step? There's still only five spots on the line that they're going to play. I don't know that George that Fitzpatrick. chip's a little weird. You never know. <laughs> Whatever George Fitzpatrick has done, I mean, there's still guys that should be ostensibly ahead of him. But is 
you know, Luke Montgomery it might be too good to keep off the field. Yeah. Is is George Fitzpatrick a depth piece for the rest of his life? That's okay. Like, like it's you not a yeah. you need that, and not everyone is a future NFL player. But um, I, from what I've heard from talking to people around here, they really like what he's done. They like who he is. They like the way he works. I haven't seen his body change the way that yes. I think we would have expected for being in the program for three years. Um, and I finally, I think if are starting to see that was on Mahalski, like he's starting to look like a, an elite college offensive lineman, which he didn't look like last year. Those are two guys that showed up here like 260 pounds. Yeah. I mean, right? Zen was a 235 pound tight end heading into his senior year of high school. So he was not really thought of as an offensive line player to begin with. And so then he gained 60 pounds and got the offer late. And so you knew that was going to be a developmental track. With, with George Fitzpatrick, he was a lacrosse player. Like he, He's an athletic kid, but sometimes that metabolism doesn't slow down like you want it to. Sometimes it does. <laughs> it will eventually. It will eventually, but maybe for a guy who, who's that sort of athlete, it, it doesn't happen at the, you know, how much can you eat, you know, like before you start to just feel like you're going to die. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. But, I mean, he... he you know, again, I, I see a noticeable difference in Mahalski finally physically yeah. from what he was. And I, I still haven't seen that out of Fitzpatrick. So, so Jim Lachey was in here on National Signing Day and did the coaches show with Ryan Day. And then I talked to him shortly after that. And I'm just, he didn't mean this to like say, hey, you're forgetting about Zinn Mahalski. But the way he talked about Zinn's physical development and that he was putting him squarely in that conversation along and in, and maybe it's just a coincidence, the names that he listed. But Zen came first when he brought it up, and then he was talking about Luke Integra trying to Montgomery Integra Shibola trying to take the next step. And it was like, I think to me, the first reminder, it's like, well, just because it didn't work last year, he had a lot of opportunities. And clearly Ohio State thinks that he has the potential to play a lot and play at right tackle for Ohio State, or he wouldn't still be here in that same boat that what you're talking about. Like they want him here. He's had opportunities to play with the ones that was not just in March where I think it was a mid like two or three weeks into March. He, he came out with a knee injury and like didn't able, wasn't able to finish that off the whole way through camp. We saw him with the split squad stuff. We thought after the first practice of training camp, was in the going to be a starting right tackle. None of that transpired. He didn't get in as like the bison package or any of those other things. And then he just sort of falls out of mind. That's the one that kind of like snapped back in like, that's your four. That's about how long it takes some of these guys before you're ready to play that position. I'm, I don't mean that as a prediction, a crystal ball, anything, but he's, I think he's, he's certainly somebody that I was not talking about enough and one of the more fascinating pieces of this yeah. competitive situation. There, Paris Johnson is rare. People, I, I think people sometimes, because Ohio State recruits at such a high level and there's all the stars attached, you, you think that every player is on the same development track. Four years to get ready to play at Ohio State, that's pretty standard for an offensive lineman. Fourth and fifth year is how it used to be. Like We've gotten into this mindset where if you're not out of here in three years, you're a terrible player. Like That's not true, especially at the offensive line. And so Luke Montgomery, I think, upside-wise, is is much more athletically gifted than Zen Mahalski, but he's still only in his second year here. Zen Mahalski should be ahead of him. If he's not, that's a that's a problem. Sure. So, I, I mean, I think that it's – we have a tendency to talk about the higher-rated recruits because that's what moves the dial. Um, but Mahalski's been here two more years than Montgomery. Like, he should be entering 
this spring with an eye on that starting right tackle spot if Fryer's moving inside. Oh, I, I agree. And it, that just, <clears throat> for me, that kind of further reinforces my belief that the answer is in this building. And I know people are skeptical of that. And, and I think it's healthy to be and kind of maybe thought that last year and, and it turned out the answer that, that that wasn't the case. But um, I think because like Zen's in his fourth year, Luke has the pedigree, like Tegra's going into his third year. Carson Hinsman, I think, is still a good player. Just maybe maybe was miscast as a center or just put into that role too early last year. Like, I think that there are uh, there's a handful of compelling options. I think for Ohio State to figure out the right side of that offensive line, including the guy who started every game at right tackle last year. <laughs> that seems helpful. Yeah. Which is weird. That yeah. You're just like, well, they need a right tackle so bad. <laughs> what happened last year starting right tackle? Yeah. Oh, he's still on he's still, still here. here. So did he get hurt? No, he played every game last year. Oh. Did he start every game? Yeah, he started every game in right tackle just, last year. Just some of those guys on the podcast daily think he need to play guard. He needs to play guard instead. We'll see. He played guard against Michigan two years, two years ago. Right? Yes. He was pretty good in that game. Yeah. Um, the rest of the I'm rotation. a huge Josh Fryer fan. Like, I mean, that's not. I just think his NFL future is at guard. Yeah. It's time to put him back there because that's what this team needs. They need for for the best alignment. I I, I can't see it any other way. He's more. He's more Andrew Norwell than Jack Muhort, right? I mean, yeah. that's... I think that's right. That's a good way to say it. So, yes. Point for me on the offensive line day. <laughs> you got anything else for it? Or are you done? Uh, is there anybody whose name we didn't say? Josh Padilla. <laughs> I mean, uh, he's just not going to start this year. and it but, is a, but C2, maybe? I, I, I think he will be the backup center heading yeah. into the spring. But it's one of those situations where you'd think that a guy who started 30-some games in his career wouldn't need snaps and wouldn't need reps in the spring in a normal situation. But since Seth McLaughlin is coming in here fresh and, and as a transfer, he's going to yeah. need the reps. And so it's unfortunate for Padilla, who I think heading into the spring would have been head-to-head battling with Carson Hinsman for that spot. Um, but he, I think he will be center number two. They love Josh Padilla. Like, that is the, that is the, uh, the center, you know, the Pat Elfline type that you're like, man, we just love that dude's energy. And, and that's what Josh brings, but not this year. So what does that mean for Carson Hensman? He's I, I Go, think, going to guard. I think he his best future. I think is at guard. He's, Carson's body is sort of strange in that he's almost six foot six and like he's not your traditional. He's like working to get to three hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's another guy that's just had trouble keeping on the weight, but he's not your six foot four center. Like he's a tall kid, so like I think he's better suited. I mean, this is a kid who played left tackle all the way through high school mm-hmm. and didn't play center in high school, so it, like. Again, it's the unfair expectations, I think, of, of recruiting. Um, but you come to Ohio State to try to excel, and he, he did the best he could last year, but clearly he wasn't physically strong enough to uh, hold up against mm-hmm. the Kenneth Grants of the world, which not a lot of people can. Yeah, but you kind of need to do that. But you have to do that at least 50% of the time. All right, Bill, that's it. This is great. That's offensive line, yeah. spring camp position preview. Episode of the podcast. I can't wait for people to see the Armstrong twins. The the you know the development. If you follow recruiting and you watch those guys a year ago when they were six foot five and a half, and two hundred and fifty pounds, and then you see them now yeah. where they're over three hundred, like you're gonna be like, what in the hell happened there? So like, there's young guys coming up, and that's to your point. I don't mean to cut you off, but like, there is an elevation of talent that Justin Fry has brought in, but it does take time at that position to get ready. It's going to make uh, spring camp fun to watch. We'll see how Ohio State manages that in uh, less than two weeks. 
Countdown is on in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. That's Bill Landis and Jeremy Birmingham. I am Austin Ward. This has been the Podcast Daily. We'll see you later.